the New Zealand Business Podcast, brought to you by Guerrilla Technology, your strategic and proactive IT partner. Welcome along to the podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain. With me today is Steve O'Connor, who is the founder and CEO at Flick Electric Co. Welcome along, Steve. Thank you, Paul. Nice to be here. Now, you've been on an interesting journey the last few years. You've been involved in a lot of areas of the technology world and startups. You were involved in getting Lightning Lab off the ground here in New Zealand. Can you maybe give us a little bit of background on what you've been up to uh, before we, we dive in and, and hear about Flick? Sure. So uh, I guess I've been uh, spending time in and around uh, startups and, and working with entrepreneurs and, and doing stuff myself. So uh, and, a, and a mix of uh, New Zealand things and, and some stuff offshore as, as well. So, you know, I enjoy um, tech um, and enjoy, uh, you know, new things uh, getting to getting to customers. I enjoy new product getting in customers' hands. So I've spent time um, investing in businesses and starting businesses myself and then helping others. And I think, you know, um, our last role at um, Creative HQ and getting Lightning Lab off the ground was about trying to help others um, do it do it better if they can um, and do it safer. So, yeah. And so tell us what that was like with getting Lightning Lab founded and established. Was there sort of a pretty clear picture on, on what you wanted to achieve and how you were to achieve it? Or was that something you really had a lot of things to figure out yourself? Yeah, I think it was um, a recognition. Um, Creative HQ's um, the business incubator in Wellington, and it was incubating a lot of different types of um, businesses, but quite a lot of digital stuff. And we just got a sense that uh, the, the the ventures and the um, the founders of those ventures probably weren't moving fast enough, given the tech can move so very quickly. And so we, we felt like we weren't doing best by them in the way we were supporting them and, and, and the model that we were using. And so I started actually looking overseas and was... Kind of conscious of um, tech stars and the likes that were that we had started the the, the concept of accelerators, so um, I got on the you know ate my own dog food. Whereas telling our guys you need to get on the plane and you need, need to get into other markets, so I got over there and, and had a look at what they were doing um, and um, kind of realised that they were using a really smart model to support entrepreneurs, particularly digital businesses, to support them through a very quick. Um, ideation, testing of the idea, validation of it, um, uh, hopefully winning some customers quite quickly and then getting investment and support behind the business in a very quick time frame. So the accelerator model that, that's come to New Zealand through Lightning Lab that we launched is based on the Techstars one and the Global Accelerator Network and it, um, it kind of places a really nice set of, um, a nice set of, a not great environment and a nice set of resources behind, um, behind the entrepreneurs that have the idea. Um, importantly, it picks teams, um, so you know you, it's very hard for a for a single founder to create a really successful business without a, without a good team to um, to support them. Um, and then it puts them in a positive pressure environment. It's probably the best way of describing. Basically, you've got three months, and the three months doesn't move. There's something called demo day, where you get an opportunity to pitch your business to investors and people that want to support these types of businesses, and that day just doesn't move. Um, and so it, there's that immediate pressure to uh, to get moving and get things done um, and then that team is surrounded by a great group of uh, mentors and advisors through that journey um, and then they have effectively a playbook that helps you do the right things in the right order so you know importantly first of all validate the idea um, and know that you've got it and it might mean that you have to pivot, it might mean you're playing in a really interesting industry or space that's due for some disruption and some change and, and more value for consumers. 
um, but it helps you validate that and then it helps you think about how you get the business prepared, um, how you might build minimum viable product in that time and actually get it to some customers and get it in their hands and get their feedback and maybe get some, some revenue going. And then to start to prepare the business for, um, for, for growth, um, of which you know, capital is obviously one of, the, one of the key ingredients. And so looking at that experience, can you recall what sort of percentage of those that went through that process had had a good outcome in terms of you know finding the capital needed and and you know eventually getting to that point of having a uh, business that was you know profitable at the end, end of the day and returning something back to shareholders? Yeah, so I, mean, I think it's um, the Lightning Lab ones are going pretty well. I think the first um, cohort that went through Lightning Lab, I think five or six of the ten. Um, that we had in that first round got successful funding. Um, I think all of those bar one are still going now and some of them are doing very, very well. Uh, so this company just like Webster. Doing yeah, they've very done well, very well. Doing they? very well internationally yeah. now, yeah. Um, which is fantastic. I think, um, you know, and this obviously takes time. Um, it takes time for the people supporting these entrepreneurs, you know, we're, we're learning how to be good mentors. There's lots of people that with great experiences in New Zealand, but actually doing it yourself versus mentoring someone else is quite a, quite a different um, experience. So we're just building, I think, that system. When you look overseas at what some of the very good accelerators are achieving now, such as um, Techstars, I mean, it's phenomenal. The businesses that are coming out of some of those accelerators are cracking. They end up mm, very good success rates, um, fantastic numbers, great products that are produced, lots of uh, lots of really good stuff so I think you know that's the reality with any of these things you've got to get them off the ground then you've got to learn as part of the process yourself but there's definitely a, there's a great model there and there's a really good framework and I think um, a lot of support both from uh, central government and from you know investors from people who have the ability to mentor and help these teams that's formed around them so it's, it's kind of cool yeah that's great now from that time there are a few things that that stick in your mind as the the top um, almost common bits of advice that you've ended up um, you know sharing with those that came through the program um, I think a lot of it is actually um, it's kind of interesting a lot of it um, is around the things that are going to help along the way and the things that are really important so as I said there's some market validation is absolutely critical because you know, a lot of entrepreneurs they get very passionate about the idea they've got, they've got they get wedded to it um, very very quickly um, they'll do their validation but it's often a, you know it's a complicated conversation around the barbecue yes. with their mates right and oh yeah that's a bloody good idea yeah, you know, yeah. you're always going to get everyone that, right? everyone encourages them <laughs> exactly and yeah. so you know um, knowing that um, importantly you found a pain point um, knowing importantly that um, you've found people that are trying to solve that, you know, consumers with a problem that are trying to solve it and knowing that they're prepared to pay for it, that you can make money out of it. You know, these are really good principles where it's human nature not to go through those things if you're wedded to something. So being forced to do it's actually really good practice. So there's just a whole lot of elements on things like that. They're just really good principles in, in, um, in a startup to do those things and, and do them well um, up front. And any sort of common disciplines that you you often encourage, or do you think there's a big variety based on the people that come in and and the different lessons that, that yeah. they need to be encouraged or the directions they need to be encouraged in? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a really dynamic environment. I think all the teams are very different. Their experiences are different. Their capabilities are different. So it has to be adjusted to 
to them. I mean, I think it's um, it's super important that the team is there. I think too many entrepreneurs think you can do everything you, yourself, and the reality is, it's you know, if you have a, if you have something really interesting and you have an aspiration for something, and you're starting at one point, and you're going to another point. It's always a squiggly line. It's never a straight line, and so you need a team that can actually adapt to what you learn and the circumstances and the challenges you you're going to face because there's going to be truckloads of them. And it's that team that can interact together, can keep their feet on the ground, can see things for how they really are as quickly as they as they can. Those sorts of elements that they you know they're coachable. They can take on other people's guidance and thoughts on things and reflect on it. Um, importantly, still make their own decisions ultimately. But you know, a, a lot of the you know the, the model we have here with Lightning Lab is first and foremost team. You know, they look for the team first. They do look at the idea and the space that they're playing in. Is that an interesting space? But they'll never look at specifically the idea or the product itself that they're looking at at the moment because chances are that's going to change. So it's much more around kind of an adaptable team that can work together, that can take um, coaching from, from a wider set of, of people to help them figure it out because there's going to be a lot of figuring out and a lot of challenges through that process. Yeah, yeah. And then once they hit that point where they've achieved the funding – challenges in getting that that process right or is there enough sort of support and structure and it's been done enough times now that that's a reasonably easy process to go through and get right so that you don't have too many fish hooks that you know would cause difficulty down the track yeah um it's um it's never i don't think it's ever easy i think it'd be wrong to say that i think there's a lot more um support in new zealand now there's a lot of angel clubs out there now that take a a structured approach to this i think entrepreneurs are, are learning um, how they need to um, identify the right kind of investable opportunity. So what does an investable business look like? And you've got to think, of it, as an entrepreneur, you have to think in the investor's eyes, what are these guys looking for? What's important to them? Have I checked those things off? And I do, do I have that type of business? Um, I think in that, and typically most startups do get funded by, by angels, is that you've clearly got to be passionate about the business and driven and motivated. Um, and then those investors look for all those classic things like, is it an investable business? Is it a good team? You know, are they passionate about this? Are they adaptable? Um, and all those good qualities um, to it. So there's a, there's a real mix of things that um, that allow a, a startup to um, increase its chances and likelihood of getting invested and getting the right kind of deal terms as well, importantly. Um, so yeah, it's uh, and it's an evolving thing again. It's just like Lightning Lab. That's a lot evolving over time. Is that the angel community here is growing and developing, and angels are learning how to invest well. Um, and I think you know the angels are often trying to do good and do well. They're trying to support teams and and people that aspire to something significant. They're also trying to get a return on investment, and that's pretty hard for early stage ventures that tend to be quite a bit more risky than uh, other yeah. types of investment categories. Well, it's pretty it's pretty high risk until until the picture becomes very very clear, and yeah. and then of course the, the the investment structure changes somewhat, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it does, and you know, and that's why I think they um, angels also look at the team critically as well um, and when they try and see that there's traction in market you know the, that that's a really positive thing but there's very few Kiwis that have enough significant trans, tra- traction in market with product that customers are, are paying for at that stage to give an investor enough confidence so they'll often look to the team importantly because they know there's some challenges to, to come in and are they up for it and do they have the right kind of attitude and, and skill set and, and things. Um, I, I think if you can get all those ingredients right then you you're, um, then you'll have a much higher success rate um, in, in getting investment in your business. You know, If it's got the fundamentals of being an, an investable um, 
business, if you've got traction in market and you've got a really good team, those three ingredients really do drive up the likelihood and the result you get from that, that early stage investment. How important is it to be validating with real customers early on with a new startup? Yep. Some, that's what it's all about. It's, it's, yeah, you, you really have to. And it's, sometimes it's hard because you need to try and do your validation without an actual product. So you have to think very carefully about how you validate successfully so you can communicate what it is you're planning to offer and finding out whether that's a pain point for customers, how many of them it's a pain point for. Is this tiny niche thing or is it actually quite a big problem? And are they actually searching for a solution? You know, Are they active? Because it's very hard to reach people when you're small, but if they're actually out there hunting for a solution, then that really helps. Um, and then are they prepared to pay and how much are they prepared to pay for it importantly too because obviously you know, you, you want to be able to ensure you've got a business model that can make money out of, out of the back of it. And it can be really hard to predict that, can't it? You can have an idea in your mind and think, well, this is what somebody would be willing to pay but until you actually uh, you know, get out there and, and get that confirmation on whether people will jump on board at your price or whether they'll pay more or, or less and so on and, and that makes a, a huge difference in terms of the ideas that you've got are actually going to be bankable at the end of the day. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, I think some of the biggest nuances and complexities are around consumers um, and how they buy and how they view things and you just sometimes you just can't pick it. Sometimes you feel you're absolutely dead cert. That's a dead cert winner and you find out, sometimes you find out the hard way if you were build the product and invest too much time so you know, you know, one of the great principles there is minimum viable product or minimum lovable product, as it's sometimes described these days. And that, that concept's about you know validating as best as you can before you build, and then building the key components that you want to test um, with the minimum amount of resources invested and get it out there. Because what you'll find is you haven't got it perfect, and you never would have. So to get it out there, to get customers on board and start getting their feedback, and that feedback loop on how you evolve that product with more time and more effort and resources is, is a really smart way of, of doing it. Good. Well, I'd like to move across to Flick, which is the business that you founded with a group of others and, mm. and hear about that story because that's you now out there um, doing it yourself. But there's a big team around you now. You know, I believe you've got over, over 40 staff, so you're not exactly a tiny little uh, uh, startup anymore. You're uh, you're growing. So I'd like to hear a bit of, a bit of that story and the the ideas for you know coming up with a new power company that operates differently to what we've seen in the past and how you've got to to this point how you've um, you know ticked off those things along the way and uh, so on okay well it's um the um, flick was founded by um six of us um who four of the six of us had actually worked in the energy industry um before um and we just um we had a sense that there was an opportunity to to put the customer back at this at the center of things for the first time and use smart tech to deliver a different business model um and a different value proposition for consumers and we kind of got that sense um working um, in the in the industry where the industry wasn't really innovating and it definitely didn't have the customer at the centre of things. Um, it has more focus on kind of the infrastructure and the delivery of energy versus what consumers might actually value. And then for consumers, we uh, knew that they were either really disgruntled with the industry because you know prices have lifted over the years, so about 75% in the last 10 years, so it's becoming less affordable, yet it's something none of us can really get away from. So it becomes a grudge purchase uh, quite often, or that customers had completely disengaged. And, you know, there's some really damning statistics, to, to be honest, around the industry. So uh, only 5% of consumers think their electricity retailer has their interests at heart. You know, so it's a lot of people kind of, 
you know, wonder, you know, is there enough competition? Why isn't there more innovation? Why don't I feel like I'm looked after by by my company? So we we just felt there were problems there that could be could be solved. So we, uh, the six of us, got together. We um, we kind of did our own little validation um, process. Um, importantly, so we kind of designed out what we we articulated what we thought the problems were. We designed out what we thought would be a solution, and we we tested that. Um, so we kind of eating our own dog food on the on the Lightning Lab stuff, which is which was great. That's good. And then we decided that we wanted to go ahead with it. We were very conscious of the market as well, and and you know you don't, as I say, you don't roll out of bed in the morning and say I think it might be an electricity retailer t- today. It's quite a big bite size to 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 um, to undertake. So we kind of assessed from a business model point of view, would it make sense? What kind of investment would we need over time? Uh, could we be sufficiently differentiated? Could we still make money out of it against the the, the big players that are in the market? Made that decision um, and, and got it underway. So we invested our own um, capital, and we're fortunate to, um, as a group, have been in a position to put a bit of our own cash to it to, to get it off the ground initially and, and our own time um, to it and, and got underway. So we, gosh, I'll have to just wind back the clock here. Um, 2013, about mid 2013, we made the decision. Um, so we again we we took the um, minimum viable product approach um, to it. So we spent four months uh, building a product, which is actually very short in the electricity industry. It's quite long in certain other industries, but very short to to um, put it put it in market. We did a beta test with about thirty customers that we got on board in January two thousand and fourteen, and then we really just tested and tested and tested for quite some time. We actually only launched in Wellington, soft launched in Wellington in August um, 2014, about 18, eight months later, should I say, um, and then have slowly grown the business from there, albeit it's certainly been accelerating um, quite quickly more, more recently for us. And so the, the the broad proposition that we've got is that, um, the, and the problems we're solving is first of all and, and foremost giving customers transparency because there's a, there's a sense that actually something's not right and it's kind of not fair in the system and we feel like we're paying over the odds. So what we do is we completely unbundle so our customers pay the exact cost, the wholesale cost of the generation of electricity, the wholesale cost of moving it around and getting it to their door, the actual cost of their meter, and we charge them separately as a retailer. So what that means is that consumers know exactly who's charging what if prices do go up they can see who's doing that. So it's not just the retailer saying, oh, this year we're putting our prices up by X percent and pointing, trying to point the finger at someone else. It's very transparent. And I think we know that consumers increasingly value transparency. You see it in a lot of other industries now, and it just hasn't been there in energy. So that was the first thing that we wanted to do. Second thing that we decided was important was to give customers um, back choice and control. And in choice, one of the biggest problems is the price that customers are paying. And pretty much the, the model at the moment is that, um, by and large, the price is, is flat. And in actually allowing our customers access to those wholesale costs, those wholesale costs actually do change. So, And, and that's because it's an industry with infrastructure where they're trying to avoid building to a natural peak load, so there are, are actually price signals there. Um, and so what it means for our customers is that they can choose the price they want to pay for certain things they do around their home for the first time. So, you know, a good example is Wellington flat prices somewhere around kind of 24, 25 cents for our customers overnight. Probably on average they're paying about 8 or 9 cents. So it's about a third of the price, so quite a significant saving. So for consumers that um, are concerned about how much they're paying, want to know that they're getting a fair deal, want choice on how much they pay for certain things they do or actually struggling to pay the bill and you know we've actually got a portion of Kiwis that are in energy poverty so they're choosing to not do things around their home like heating it um, because they find it just too expensive finally they actually have 
them an element of choice. And then the third bit is just an element of control that they've never had before. So we're a very digital business. Um, We work with smart meters and we, we gather that information on a regular basis. So... You know, for consumers that have been used to a bill turning up once a month in your post and it says it's 400 bucks, and you're kind of like, what was that for? And I never knew that was coming and you've got bill shock. We actually tell our customers day after day, this is your tally so far this week and you've got three days left. We actually we actually bill on, you know, we've done lots of little mini innovations so we bill our customers weekly. We think it's important because um, we want them to engage to an extent. Um, they still pay automatically so they don't have to do anything but it just means that they're starting to to engage with the product again and starting to value the product and understanding how they're, they're, um, they're consuming it. So, so they really know what, what they're spending. They're not going to get that surprise a long time out that um, you know, some heating they've been doing over winter, winter or you know, some change in their habits is, is costing them a lot and then they find out sort of, uh, you know, some, some long time later. Exactly. So I, I guess for, for this business, it wouldn't have really worked without a lot of the, the Technology changes that have happened both in the um, in the power industry with smart meters and the ability to be able to produce, you know, both um, you know online uh, services and uh, apps in a pretty rapid time frame. Right, you're, you're very much a, a, a technology based business. Yeah, it's a big enabler. So we we can't do this without smart meters. So that ability to count how much you're consuming on a half hourly basis and then matching that with half hourly wholesale prices is is um, all important. And there's, you know, interestingly, there's a smart device on many homes in New Zealand at the moment. And you know the the driver for that was around efficiencies for retailers, so you don't have to send a smart uh, send a reader out to to read the meter. But unfortunately, what most retailers do is they just effectively, you know, if there's a smartphone on the side of the house, they ring that once a month to find out the number, right? And we're we're constantly in dialogue with that to understand how you're consuming and and providing that information on a, on a regular basis. So our customers, you know, for example, very few customers know, you know, what's your cost of energy um, in your home per day. And I ask that quite often, and I've very rarely had someone say, I know what it is, and, I, and if it is, it's because they've joined Flick. And, you know, we, and the product is actually fantastic. You know, we, we power our homes with, with electricity, we cook our food, uh, it helps us see at night, helps us heat our hot water, helps us heat our homes, powers all these great devices that we use. Yet most people think it's incredibly expensive, but actually for our customers it's just a little under $5 per day. So when we break it down to that kind of level of information, a lot of our consumers go, you know what, that's actually pretty good value. That's a cup of coffee to do all that stuff that I get to do around my home. You know, So I think in using digital technology we've enabled customers to re-engage with the product again because ultimately at the moment, you know, when you flick a switch at home, no one thinks, how much is this costing me? Is the product scarce or abundant at the moment, which is effectively that price signal? Uh, where's it come from? How was it generated? And we provide all this information now if you choose to engage. And I kind of use, you know, use that analogy of um, uh, buying strawberries. You know, at certain times of year you'll get a punnet of strawberries for a buck in the right. supermarket. And other yeah. times of the year you'll pay eight, nine, ten, ten bucks for it. And that's just... The market reflecting scarcity or, or abundance of a of a resource at a particular point in time. So, and you buy you buy accordingly, right? Exa- exactly. And so yeah. consumers are actually really smart and they're quite savvy. But I think the industry has just treated them as well, not dummies, but they just haven't used technology to deliver information and choice and and transparency and control, which is what we're all about. Hmm. No, it seems like uh, seems like a good approach. I've been trying the service out uh, just to have a have a look at how your technology oh, nice. and, and and bits and pieces work. 
it seems as with anything there's probably a, a few challenges in there but uh, for the most part what you talked about in terms of you know seeing how much is being spent on uh, on power a day yeah that's something I that's something I didn't didn't know before and yeah, seeing seeing when the rates are up and down and so on, it's uh, you know it's pretty interesting. I think yeah. we've got you know we've got a long way to go in evolving the tools. I mean, fundamentally, we're giving customers that choice, but we have to engage them all in, in the right way. Um, and we know our consumers want to engage in, at different levels. So we've got some customers that join us, and actually they never look at the price. Um, they know that over the long run they're going to be better off on wholesale um, prices and they're prepared to just ride the price curve and keep doing what they're doing. We've got some people that will use the tools to learn the patterns, the average patterns by time of day and so you know it's, it's cheaper overnight and it's cheaper on the weekends and they just do some simple behavioural stuff around the house, lock that in and, and they're away laughing. Um, and then they'll use some of our more proactive tools so they'll use the alerts to maybe avoid a higher price or, or a low price alert to, to turn something on in the, in the home. Um, we have some gamers, so we've got some people out there that use the tech and they game it. They're looking at the forward prices, they're looking at the price right now, and they're making active decisions. And it's it's lovely. We reinforce the position for the customer, which is I think really important. So every week we calculate under our model the the their bill. We also do the full calculation under their previous provider's tariff that they were on. And we tell them how they're doing basically. So there's this lovely kind of reinforcement that happens on how you're doing and how you can benefit from from changing your behaviour. And So I think the evolution of those tools, we just have to keep um, recognising that we have to engage customers in different ways to their benefit as they choose to choose to engage. So mm. you can and, and I guess there are, you know, as in any business, there are probably some challenges and some restrictions. So, you know, I'd notice I was sort of thinking, oh, I'm going to see all this stuff real time. And, you know, you're not always able to get all that data as quickly as what the customer you know might like for uh, you know for usage and so on, for instance, right? Yeah, so yeah, uh, you're absolutely um, right, and it, you know, and it's it's funny because we've moved from people that receive that information once a month, effectively, you, know, you get a bill, to um, receiving it daily. But interestingly, at the moment, it's a day to two days behind the consumption information. Um, we have price real time, which is probably the more important one, which is which is good and valuable. But you know, ultimately, we'd love to be able to t- actually tell people this is how much you're paying in dollar terms now, not just the price. Term and that requires you know, that ability to start taking real-time consumption. There's certainly um, technologies out there that can help assist with that, so you know, we, we don't want to stand still and we recognise there's still plenty of room um, to, to keep moving and improving what we're doing. Yeah, great. Now, um, how many people? So, how many people have you got on the team? You mentioned that there were uh, six involved in in founding um, Flick. Are all of those uh, people working within the business, or is that you know, it's a mix yeah. of investors and 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 um, you know, founders that are still involved day to day. Yeah, so it's a it's a mix. Um, we the the team's actually a little bit over forty um, now, and it's and being you know, and interestingly, you know, who are we? We're a um, we're a bunch of innovative thinkers that understand the electricity and have built a platform first and foremost. Um, we are a retail company, and we want to be a great retail company. So we build a great brand and a great team, and we but we see how the platform business selling to that to that retail business. Um, and in that retail business, you need to grow it. So there's a whole set of competencies that you need just to be a retailer. And so, you know, a really good example when we first started, um, Urian, who's our CFO, um, was functionally 
once we got the retail business underway, he was our CFO, he was the billing manager, he was the credit manager, he was our financial controller. I mean, he was just covering a bunch of roles, right? And so as we scaled the business, we've recognised you need to kind of forward invest in some of that capability um, if you want to grow the business and keep growing it successfully. And that's effectively what we've what we've done. I don't think the business, the business is highly digital. Um, so as we grow from here, we're a, a bit beyond 10,000 customers now, but, but growing pretty quickly. And I think the number of staff that will be required to support that growth will, will flatten out quite quite nicely from here. Um, naturally, some of the um, customer care, customer experience teams will continue to grow as our, as our customer base grows. Um, but by and large, most of those kind of core cool functions are in, in place now. So mm. we want to try and keep it a reasonably tight um, team. We've got a um, good-sized um tech team our, our dev team so um, we're pushing on on new product stuff and improving um, the current tools that we have over time too so yeah that's good and in terms of a you know longer term picture you've already picked up 10,000 customers um, are you seeing other people elsewhere in the world that are doing similar types of models or are you thinking oh maybe we could uh, you know we could we could take this and in, into other markets or do you see just New Zealand being a really big market that uh, that that would be your, your focus for uh, for a long time to come mm, it's a, it's an interesting one and it's um I mean we, we have a luxury from one perspective which which is you know often startups they'll end up with something hopefully innovative that's a but it's a very small niche and so you know, you could sell to every customer in New Zealand. You've still got a pretty small um, business, and so you're forced to to go offshore. I think for us, we we kind of carry two perspectives on it. The first one is it's a big industry here in New Zealand, so it's a you know across um, energy consumption, it's a nine billion dollar per annum industry, and and worldwide, it's anywhere between two and four percent of total GDP is is mm. being spent on on these energy purchase decisions. So that's the lovely thing is that we have a great growth opportunity in New Zealand, which we're we're going after now which is fantastic but as we've kind of thought about um, the problems that we've faced in New, in New Zealand with consumers that's certainly prevalent in a lot of other markets as well so the same kinds of conditions um, we've found in other markets where you have consumers that are um, have a higher expectation um, that's not being met at the moment um, you often have players in the industry that aren't thinking innovatively and, and not doing things um, differently and then um, Fantastically, a lot of the common things are exactly the same. Someone generates it, someone moves it around, and someone retails it. So it's just how those all how those markets are organised. So we we've kind of done um, some market scans over overseas, and um, we haven't found anyone that's doing what what we're doing. I think we're definitely starting to see more innovation in the energy sector, though, and it is kind of getting to a disruptive level. Uh, now and a lot of that's actually being driven off wider choices for consumers, so they can start saying, "Well, actually, damn it, I'll generate my own electricity, for, for example." So you know, yeah, solar and yeah. photovoltaics is certainly taking off in other places around the world and starting to get a little bit of momentum in New Zealand. So you know, I think there's um, we feel like we're on fertile ground, mm. um, which is which is really exciting, and we know the industry's set for quite a lot of change. I mean, it literally hasn't changed much in the last you know fifty years, but I think the next five to ten years, it's going to see Quite a, quite a bit of change. So, you know, we're both excited on the size of the, the New Zealand market and we want to be successful and grow a great company and brand here from a retail point of view. But we also want that platform to potentially go other places in the world too. Oh, that'll be, that'll be great to watch. Now, um, uh, talking about getting from that sort of small team that you started with um, up to, you know, 40 or, or so now, mm. 
what were the challenges in that process? Because when you start with a, a group of founders, you've you've got you know very close shared um, values, I imagine, and understanding of where you want to go. And then you start employing people across a whole mix of different different <laughs> roles. And these are these are employees. They're you know they're not uh, people that have been living and breathing this for for a long time. Have got all their you know their their um, maybe their family's funds in, invested in it and so on. Mm. Um, how have you managed that process of of getting them really excited about what you're doing and uh, and keeping those values sort of you know through the business as it grows? Because you don't want to get to this sort of size and and scale where well it's successful, you know, by one metric, but um, by other metrics it's uh, it's a complete nightmare because it's well all all the sort of challenges that that people can bring. Yeah, it's a cracking question, and I think that's the you know it's the difference between small agile startup businesses and larger companies that struggle to innovate um, or struggle to put the customer at the, at the centre, and so that's ultimately a challenge that I think we're, we're meeting it head on at the moment and doing very very well on it but it, it's that difference between six founders who are wedded to the business in, in many respects that um, are committed to it you know we're, we're the, the, the pig um, in, in the business you know, with the bacon potentially in it so um, I think for us it's um, predominantly um, cultural um, so the important things for us is that we remain agile as a business that we remain innovative um, that we keep the customer at the centre, that we're brave. So we have a set of values and we have a purpose that um, lays across the whole team. Um, and it is still, we're unbelievably, you know, so from a, a cultural point of view, we think that's really important. That we have a very strong purpose that people can buy into and it's not just about making money as a company by any stretch. You know, we really do care about our customers and we care about how successful they're being by, by using our product, which is fantastic. And, our, you know, that that's a real kicker for our team. You know, we have lots of great touch points of how we were delivering cracking value to consumers and, and how, they, how they love what we're doing. Um, and then I think it's kind of the, the way you structure and organise yourselves around that and the types of people you hire into that environment. So we, we do tend to focus uh, more on attitude first and then aptitude for, for roles. And so we, know, we need to know that people will fit and enjoy and thrive in the culture and environment that we have. You've got to be quite strategic to, to do that, don't you? Because... You know, as you grow, I'm sure there'll be there'll be pressure points, and you think, well, we just need this skill right now. But if your focus is way too leaning towards the skill and not the attitude, it might you know fill your immediate needs for a short bit of time and take some pressure yeah. off. But yeah, it's, you're going to feel the pain later. Yeah, yeah it's, and it's really hard. I mean, we um, in 2015 across the year we grew 37 percent, but 37 percent month on month on average. Ouch. So it's, it's real stretch marks, you know, and, you, yeah. and we, you know, we heavily utilise technology, which is great, but ultimately you still need that core team that we've mm. put in place. And so, you know, those stretch marks on, gosh, we need someone now versus actually it's really important to invest the time to get the right person long term. And we've tried wherever possible just to back it off, find other smart ways to sustain that growth bit till we find find the right, right person. I think mm. we've done that um, really well. I mean, we, we haven't had a bad hire, which is, which is fantastic. And then the, the second component to that is just putting the right kind of structure and framework around our organisation. So we're really flat. I mean, I, you know, I hang out with everyone. The, the, the founders hang hang out with everyone. Um, everyone has um, both the ability and actually a responsibility to solve things in the business, to see things and take ownership and solve things. We create good environments for people to play across the business, and we really. Sub- 
celebrate and support diversity. You know, we believe diversity of people actually delivers much better decisions, much better results over time. So we've just put a whole lot of stuff in, in place. I mean, you'd, you know, you'd mentioned that um, that you know we own the business or, or a portion of the business, but actually we recently put in place a an ESOP, an equity share plan that covers our entire business. So every single employee that's with us full time. Uh, has shares in our business or options for shares in our business. So we want to we wanted to hold on to some of these elements because we know they mean that we're going to be much more successful, staying focused on our customers, continuing to innovate, and to um, to have people that really support the successful growth of the business. That's good. Are there any techniques you can share on that recruiting process that you that you've gone through? It sounds like it's been very successful with getting people that have got the. The right attitudes. You you must have got a, a bit of a knack for how you uh, how you tell that, or is it is it yeah. um, or is it reasonably easy? There's some simple principles that I've used that we've used that um, I, I think are pretty um, um, pretty straightforward. Um, one of them I think is um, importantly um, sharing the purpose of the business and the values of the business, and making um, candidates realise the importance of that and reflect hard on how that sits with them. You know, and, and testing it, not just people saying, yeah, I'm really comfortable with that, but you know, um, making sure that they have live examples that they can talk you through where actually that does truly truly fit for them. So, that, And that aligns on that kind of attitude um, scale for us. We use um, typically multiple people in our team and different people from across the organisation that will meet with them as, as part of that process. So you get good, good checks and, 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 and balances um, as, as part of that. So I think just a lot of those routines, if you can invest in them, they, they kind of pay dividends um, down the line for you. I think being um, patient, I mean, we always talk about ourselves being patiently impatient. And as you said, sometimes you you desperately need uh, more capability in the business, but sometimes you actually just have to be patient to make sure you get the right um, person. So that investment decision, you know, you, you, just as you know, you require capital to invest in the business. You know, ultimately, you've got to invest in your people. Um, so we, we try and view it that way as well. That we're making investment decisions um, for the business when we when we um, we try and attract and select the right the right type team members. Yeah, that's good. And have you gone out for external um, investment as the business has grown as well? And, yeah. and how did you decide when to do that, or was that you know fairly fairly natural in terms of? Uh, um, things. Yeah, it has been um, fairly natural. As I said, we kind of had a sense that we would need to raise capital. So when we first looked at at what it would take to create this business, we recognised we couldn't we couldn't do it on our own, um, and we we knew we couldn't do it on our own from a capability point of view and from a capital um, point of view. From a um, capital point of view, we've probably gone through um, some of the traditional approaches. So you know, it started with the, the founders um, and committing our own resources and our own time. Um, in our first round, we got a um, an interesting mix of um, investors. So we've been through three um, three rounds um, so far, and that first round was an interesting mix of the angels and um, a few slightly more professional investors that um, we kind of dragged down to early stage and when we got our first round of investment um, we, which was a good good amount of money it was probably non-angel levels of, of money um, but um, we, we convinced the angels to get into it and we convinced um, 
a number of investors that perhaps kind of more traditionally fund the growth phase yes. to get in. We only at that point in time, I think we only had we might have had about a hundred customers, but it wasn't necessarily completely. You know, we didn't have huge traction in, in market yet. So that um, that went incredibly well. We just thought through the principles of you know making sure that we had a, um, a very good story. We we're an investable proposition. We could show those investors the things that they needed to see. I think we had a very good team in place. So they they looked at uh, the team that we had um, put together. You know, we had good industry experience, we had good experience of startups and growth companies. So that went well and, and then in previous rounds we've slowly just successfully drawn in more sophisticated investors um, as, as we've grown the company. So, you know, we're very, very thankful. We're, and, you know, we've, I mean, I'd, I'd say lucky. I mean, I think we've we um, plan to succeed in our investment and we have as a, as a consequence we've worked hard at it um, with, with our investors and shareholders. You know, importantly we keep them really well informed of how the business is going. You know, it's important to to describe a plan and to have some key milestones on that and then it's really important to try and hit them as best you can. I think we've done that, you know, we've executed really well as a team. And so that you know, that combination of a growing business that's executing to a plan that, that a, a shareholder and investor um, likes the look of, if you can show that track record, I think it um, it opens the, the pathway for them continuing to support you. And you found across the business you're you're able to have metrics for for everyone, is it? Because that can be easier, you know, said said than done to make things measurable. It makes life a lot easier, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, we I mean we're a crazy combination of data geeks. I mean we love we love data to, to be honest. And then we're in an industry where you can measure quite a lot. So there are quite a lot of statistics in our in our business. So we use data. I mean, we, you know, in many respects, we're still testing an awful lot of stuff. And so we, you know, we love trialing things and measuring it and figuring out did it work, didn't it work? If it didn't work, why didn't it work? What bits can we embed in our business now? Okay, now what's the next idea? And trying to iterate on that quite quickly and then measuring it. So we've got um, really good metrics across our business that you know the whole team's aware of, which is which is really neat. That's great. And any uh, any closing uh, tips or or advice that you would like to uh, share? Oh crikey, that's a pretty open-ended <laughs> one, isn't it? Um, oh, I mean, I just encourage people, you know, entrepreneurs that have got ideas um, to to go for it. But I think there's, you know, it's it's um, you know, and, and utilise technology. I mean, I think New Zealand has cracking talent. I think we have great people with great ideas. Um, I think we're technology savvy. I think we're very creative as a nation but I think um, going in with your eyes open and looking for supports um, particularly important there's lots of really good structured um, support now um, but knowing that you don't know everything um, is really important and once you've got your feet on the ground like that and you're adaptable and open to um, to learning as part of that process then I think it's going to be great I think people that think that they're onto the winner you know it's always that overnight 10 year success that's the reality it's hard it's true isn't it it's hard yeah. work you know yeah. so you've got to be steeled up for it you've got to be passionate and remain passionate about, about what you're doing um, you've probably got to be doing something that you're good at um, but I think if you, you know, for, for Kiwis with with good ideas, I think the you know the world's our oyster in, in many respects. If you can if you can play it out the right way and get a good team and and get the right kind of support, then um, yeah, great opportunities to do neat things in New Zealand and, and take them take them global. Great, good advice. Well, thank you very much, Steve. Much appreciated. The New Zealand Business Podcast. Brought to you by Guerrilla Technology, your strategic and proactive IT partner.